0: three parts to the Bible reading this morning. The first is on page three of the Church Bibles, Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, the reading then continues uh, on at verse 26 on the same page. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then we continue on page 1,000 of the Church Bibles, in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, came to them and said.
1: Um, You are going to find your life's purpose. Exciting, isn't it? We all are going to find our life's purpose. People invest so much uh, time and energy into finding their life's purpose. There are um, countless articles, life coaches. Maybe we lie awake at night um, dreaming dreams or maybe worrying. Um, about what our life's purpose might be. We spend hours maybe talking to friends, maybe making false starts, career changes, and so on. Wouldn't it be great to have definitively answered, once for all, what our life's purpose is? What is our life's purpose? What were you put on the earth to do? Well, we need to listen, don't we, to what our Maker says we're made for. What is the purpose He made us for? I wonder if you've asked that question. We're all different. Um, We've all got different gifts and opportunities, different life situations and so on. So actually it will work out in the specifics differently for each one of us. But the overall purpose of humanity is quite clear in Scripture. We saw it last week in Genesis chapter 1, that passage that Peter just read again for us. God made men and women in his image to continue his work of organizing and filling the earth that originally was formless and empty. We just read Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God tells the first humans to fill the earth and subdue it, forming and filling. And we saw last week that that command, what's sometimes called the Genesis Mandate or the Cultural Mandate, is picked up and developed after the first sin in the Garden. It's picked up and developed in the promises to Abraham and then in the New Covenant through the Prophets into what we call the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And here at the end of Matthew we get the fruition, the fulfilment of that original mandate to fill the earth and subdue it, as we see Jesus tell his disciples the central command of the Great Commission, which is there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, make disciples of all nations. We are here to fill the earth, all nations, with disciples of Jesus. That is, people brought into ordered relationship with the king of the universe. Gabriel started us uh, by talking about Buckingham Palace and the king who lives there. Well, this is the king of kings. The king over King Charles and over every king and queen, every president and prime minister, every ruler in the world, Jesus Christ. The Great Commission fulfils the original Genesis mandate. It is the purpose for which God made humanity. Now we covered the whole sweep of the Bible story last week Um, so do go back and listen again if you missed it um, you can get the audio file on the church website or watch the whole service on YouTube. Today we're going to dig into what exactly the Great Commission says and what it might look like for each one of us, made differently in different situations, to play our part in God's grand purpose for humanity. And the, thing we, the first thing we need to know is that there's one command really, one main verb in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. It's not so easy to tell from our English translations, but the main command is there in verse 19, make disciples. The other verbs around it, what look like instructions, in um, our English Bibles, they're uh, actually participles that means they're secondary, they tell us how to make disciples and what's involved with it, but the main command is make disciples now disciple isn't a word that we use very often um, in everyday um, English, is it? Um, maybe we use it to talk about followers of a particular celebrity expert Um, You sometimes hear people say, I'm a disciple of Jamie Oliver or I'm a disciple of Joe Wicks. Obviously you can tell that by the way I look. Um, Maybe a football manager will be called the disciple of Pep Guardiola. It means something like a follower or a trainee or an apprentice. Someone who follows someone else in order to learn to become like them. A disciple. And in this context, as Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, as we think about it as part of the ordering of the created universe, I want to suggest that making disciples is particularly about applying the rule of King Jesus in our own generation. It's applying the rule of King Jesus in our own generation. Persuading people to accept his authority as we repent and believe the good news and as we live out the life that he expects modeling ourselves on him, becoming like him the ultimate and perfect man. And then the three participles around it flesh out what that looks like and what that involves. And the first thing that making disciples involves is going, going. Now, because this comes first in verse 19, it's sometimes taken to be the main command. In fact, if you talk about mission, or or especially if you talk about being a missionary, then that's often what we think, isn't it, about going to take the gospel of Jesus um, far off, to far off heathen nations, let's say. And certainly, it can involve taking the Gospel to far off nations. We are called to make disciples of all nations. And if every Christian stayed at home, how would other nations get to hear of him? But once we realise that go in the the Great Commission is a participle, it's not the main verb, we realise that it could just mean, as you go, or wherever you go, make disciples. See, Jesus was speaking to the eleven on a mountain in Galilee but they weren't going to stay there so he says, as you go from this mountain, make disciples of all nations some of the disciples went back to Jerusalem and stayed there probably for the rest of their lives Peter made short mission trips, especially to Greek-speaking Jews in other areas. Thomas may have taken the Gospel east, as far as India. And of course, the Apostle Paul, who was converted a short while later, he took the Gospel west, at least as far as Rome. But the key point is, wherever they went, they spoke about Jesus and made disciples of him. Many of us today have already travelled many miles to be here in London. Maybe we will go to other parts of the world in future. The most important thing is that we take the message of Jesus with us wherever we go. It might be that we will have a particular desire, particular gifts and opportunities, a gift of languages maybe, so that we will intentionally go where Jesus is not already well known. Or maybe where there's a particular need for people to go and train the believers who are already there. Jenny and I support friends who are doing that in Senegal and in Uganda and in Cambodia and other places. We've got partnerships as a church um, with people in um, Accra, in Ghana and in Brussels. It would be a great thing for each of us to think about should you, should I, intentionally go to another part of the world, maybe making, make, making great sacrifices and great investment in learning other languages and culture, maybe bringing up children far from home? Should we do all these things in order to make disciples of all nations? Certainly the Great Commission implies that some of us should. But that's not all that mission involves. We mustn't feel that those people who do those things are the only missionaries. Actually, if we're Christians, if we're disciples of Jesus, we're all missionaries. In fact, for some of us, the first way this will apply is to go home and make disciples of our children, of others. Um, uh, in our families and those we live with. So wherever we are, and wherever we go, we need to be looking for opportunities to make disciples of all nations. A great question to ask, a powerful question to ask is, who is the Lord bringing across my path in my everyday life today? Who are the people that I naturally come into contact with day by day, week by week, in my street, in my place of work or place of study, or at the school gates or wherever it might be that I go? Do those people know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you looked for an opportunity to apply the saving rule of King Jesus in their life? in our hamlets there are many natural opportunities to do that with people from all over the world can you help to befriend one of those asylum seeking families can you support the work of others in our parish to reach the Bengali community um, maybe you could join in with the Friday afternoon outreach here at St Anne's but let me tell you this the one place that making disciples will certainly involve going, for every one of us, is going outside of our comfort zones. It's never an easy thing to share the message of Jesus. God doesn't call every one of us to go to outer Mongolia or darkest Peru, but he does call us to go out of our comfort zone. Who is the Lord bringing across your path? And have you, stepped, <coughs> excuse me, have you stepped over the pain threshold of introducing the name of Jesus into your conversation with them? Wouldn't it be great to pray for an opportunity to do that with one person this week? In fact, why don't we just stop and pray for that now? Our Father God, please will you open an opportunity for each Christian here this morning to have a conversation about Jesus with a new person this coming week. Amen. So as you go, make disciples. And the second and third of these participles around the Great Commission, they speak of the journey that someone makes as a disciple. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them. Baptism is the symbol of beginning the Christian life. Whether you're immersed fully into water or whether you have water splashed or poured over you, baptism symbolises the cleansing of your sins. In fact, it's the death to an old life and a resurrection to a new life. The original baptisms were carried out in the River Jordan as a symbol of entering the Promised Land. It's a baptism in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The name, singular, of one God in three persons. This is one of the earliest explicit references to the Trinity in the New Testament. It's on the lips of Jesus himself. If you would say that you're a Christian, but you haven't yet been baptised, I'd love you to speak to me at the end, because we'd love to put that right. We'll want to make sure that you know what you're committing to. Um, There might be some things that need straightening out in your life uh, to bring into line with the Gospel, but don't delay without good reason. Do you remember the story of Philip meeting the Ethiopian eunuch? In Acts chapter 8, he explained the Gospel. The man said, look, here's some water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip baptized him there and then, day one of the Christian journey. It might be that you're not sure yet whether you're a Christian, or maybe you know you aren't. Now that's okay, we've got to start somewhere. But we'd love to help you on your journey to know what a Christian is and what it would mean if you decided To follow Jesus. Speak to me afterwards if you'd like some help in going over the basics and answering your questions. When Jesus talks about the baptising part of making disciples, he's not just talking about who does the stuff with the water, he's talking about it as a marker of entering the Christian life. And so this is what we often call evangelism telling people the Gospel so that they might be saved. Every Christian is called to make disciples and to be ready to give an answer for the hope that they have. But some people have a particular gift for it, a particular burden or passion to tell the Gospel to people who haven't heard it before. Maybe you can think of people um, in our church family who are like that. I can certainly think of some of you who have a particular gift. We need to encourage those people. We need to pray especially for them. We need to give them the resources that they need. Um, We need to organise ourselves as a church to give them the very best opportunities. But baptising is just the beginning of the journey of discipleship. We're not just an evangelism club urging people over the line to pray a prayer of faith and then turning round to the next person without a second thought. Now we need to do the third of our participles as well. We make disciples going, baptising, and teaching. Teaching them. Discipleship involves the whole of our lives conforming to the rule of King Jesus, and that's the work of a lifetime. We need to be taught, and we need to teach one another to obey everything Jesus commanded, that is, all of Jesus' ethical commands in the Gospels. But also Jesus himself told us to learn from the Old Testament. Do you remember near the start of the Sermon on the Mount? He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the Law or the Prophets, the Old Testament. He said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until all is accomplished. He said at the end of that same chapter, Matthew 5, he said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the Apostles' own teaching and the rest of the New Testament spell out what the Christian life looks like. So we mustn't be so single-minded about getting people to pray the prayer that we neglect their ongoing discipleship. Still worse would it be to water down the demands of the Christian life, to overlook significant sin in order to make it easy for someone to enter the kingdom. Repentance and faith means being willing to bring all of my life under the rule of King Jesus, even if it takes a lifetime to work that out. Sadly many Christians stop at the beginning with a profession of faith, maybe with baptism, but they don't then follow it up by obeying everything that Jesus commanded. Apparently uh, Gandhi said that the Sermon on the Mount went straight to my heart and delighted me beyond measure, but sadly He didn't think it was lived out by the Christians he knew. And so he also said, I would be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. Isn't that a sad thing to hear? We will never reach perfection this side of heaven, but we should be constantly growing, constantly striving to become more like our Master. And it might be that some of us have a more natural gift and desire to be involved in this part of the work. Maybe we're not natural evangelists, we find it hard to talk to outsiders about Jesus, but we have a heart for applying the Gospel to our own lives and to helping others live for Jesus. That might be informal ways like leading a home group or other Bible studies. we can contribute to the work of discipleship in other ways just remember our recent sermons in 1 Corinthians the value of just turning up and speaking up to build up other believers and we can serve through welcome and hospitality and organisation and financial giving and so on it all helps the work of the whole church in being an organism together that not only reaches out but builds up, it's a corporate activity, we're all made different and so we're all needed to play our part in the making of disciples. I wonder which part you play or what part you can learn to play in this grand purpose for the whole Church of making disciples of all nations. Let me just make a couple of comments on this whole work of making disciples. Did you notice this is a a self-propagating work? What I mean is that Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples and his disciples need to obey everything he commanded, one of which is to make disciples. And so we get with this, as we get on with this work of the Great Commission we should expect to see a multiplication effect as we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. As we're baptised and we learn to live the Christian life so others should see the difference that Jesus makes in us. They ask the reason for the hope we have. Um, we speak to them about Jesus and they in turn, some of them, put their trust in Jesus and they are baptised and taught to obey and so on it's a self-propagating cycle but it might all sound a bit overwhelming and this is the point I want to finish on because it was the same for the original eleven disciples imagine how it would have felt for them on that mountain in Galilee. Eleven of them. One of them has already betrayed Jesus and been lost. The world is against them, the Roman Empire and their own Jewish authorities. And Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Can you imagine? They'd be thinking, what, us? All nations? Did you notice in verse 17, when they saw Jesus on the mountain, they worshipped him, but some doubted, some doubted. The word in Greek comes from the word for two, they were in two minds, maybe, or they had second thoughts. I don't think they doubted in the sense that they were sceptical. I doubt that you are who you say you are. I think it's more in the terms of uncertainty. They weren't quite sure what to make of what was going on. And for that reason, Jesus wraps his Great Commission in verse 19 and 20 up with two great reassurances before and after. He says in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them and teaching them. And he says, verse 20, Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. All authority, with you always, is like a giant comforting hug, isn't it? We're not on our own in this great business of making disciples of all nations. We might feel weak and powerless, but we have the King of all authority with us, always. It's like when you take a small child to jump into a swimming pool. You hold them tight and you say, it's okay, I'm right here with you, you can do it. Jesus Christ is with us today as we make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them and teaching them. We can do it in His strength. In fact, we're going to be astonished at what He does through us when we step out in faith. Let me lead us in prayer now. Let's pray. Our Father God, we do thank you for the power and the presence of King Jesus with us as we hear his commands to his disciples to be disciples that make disciples, that make disciples. Our Father, we pray that you would inspire us afresh this morning to go out and do that great work We pray, our Father, that wherever we go, in our homes, in our streets, our workplaces, our places of study, and when we go to other parts of the world, we pray, dear Lord God, that we will go always with the name of Jesus on our lips. That whoever you bring across our path, that we will always make the most of the time, the most of the opportunity to give a reason for the hope that we have please grow us in our own journeys of discipleship and please show us how you would use us to grow others too in jesus name we pray